Acts chapter 8. While you're turning there, true success will always endure some sort of hardship. True success will always endure some sort of hardship. There will always be some sort of hardship when you are trying to have success. If you would imagine with me, put your thinking cap on. I know it's late, um, later in the day. Some of you had a long week, different things. But if you can think with me for a little bit, um, I want you to imagine that the Bible Baptist Church is packed at the seams. There are people... Uh, literally in every pew, there is uh, chairs down the aisles, there's people, uh, chairs in the foyer, people are standing at the back. I want you to picture that. I want you to picture how exciting that would be. Everything was just packed. In fact, it was so packed that we needed to start having plans to build a building out on Highbury Avenue. So we begin thinking about building that building out on Highbury. We cut the trees. We get everything built. Everything's wonderful. We double the size of our auditorium. And not, in, not a few months in, we already have that building packed. And we begin thinking about, oh, no, what are we going to do? There's chairs down the aisles, and there's people in the foyer, and there's standing room only. Again, there's only enough room to fill the building. There was, we couldn't get anybody else outside People were coming to Bible Baptist Church, if you will, left, right, and center. Let me ask you a question. By raising your hands, how many of you would say that is a successful church? How many of you would say that? Okay. I wouldn't disagree with you. I'm just, some of you probably worried. What's he, what's he setting us up for? Not setting you up for anything, but most of us would think that's successful. Most of us think that numbers and people, more people hearing the gospel is successful. And I'm not here to tell you necessarily anything different than that. But it would show some validity to that, the fact that we are seeking Christ and sharing hope. If, if people are coming to this church, that means that we are seeking Christ and sharing hope. That gives some validity to that. And it sh- shows us that we're doing that in our community. But let me ask you this. Is that the only measure of success? No way. No way it's not. Is that the only thing by which we define success is purely by numbers? The church here in the book of Acts was in this position. People were getting saved. They were being added to the church. And the church was literally growing and busting at the seams. It was estimated about this time that there were around 8,000 people going to this church. Here in Jerusalem. So we would all, every one of us, would classify this as a successful church. God gave us this promise. That he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So what's next? So what's next? We have 8,000 people attending. Picture that. Bible Baptist Church has 8,000 people attending. We are a successful church. Well, what next? What next? What next? What's next on the horizon? Do we just sit back? Listen, hear me now. Do we just sit back and relax and stay with the status quo and enjoy what God has given us? Or do we make some sort of changes? Listen, if we had a church of 8,000 people, it would be very difficult not to sit back and relax and enjoy what God has given us. But the Bible says that we must prevail, the, the gates of hell will not prevail 
against us. And I'm not sure if this was in the apostles' minds or not. But let's go ahead and look at this story that's before us tonight. I'm not sure if they were thinking, yeah, you know, we're, we're in a really good position. Financially, I mean, everything's going really well. And I mean, people are surrendering to the call of ministry. There's all kinds of different things that maybe they were thinking we don't know. But let's look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 and see what the story has for us. The Bible says this, And Saul was consenting unto his death. If you'll remember, last week we talked about Stephen being murdered and, and persecuted. And so Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all you do for us. Thank you for allowing us to have this opportunity to be here tonight. And Father, I pray that you would challenge us and spur us to do something for you. Father, that no matter what comes into our lives, no matter what happens, Father, you would get the honor and the glory from it. And I pray that we would continue to remember that you died on the cross. Help us to keep that our central focus. Help us to keep you in in serving you as our central focus. And Father, we love you so much for it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, Spreading Unity. Spreading Unity. Kind of an oxymoron. Sometimes we wonder uh, or think that unity is something that is tight and and, and knit and connected. Spreading Unity. Unity. So often we have a preconceived notion of what success looks like. We have a preconceived notion of what it looks like. We uh, go into marriage with a preconceived notion that we will never have a fight and everything will be lollipops and rainbows. Most of you are laughing because you know that's not entirely true. It may be close to true. It's not entirely true. Some of us, uh, if we have that uh, uh, view of, of marriage and we have the moment we have our first fight, we assume that our marriage is over. It's done. We can't, we can't go on like this because we have a preconceived notion. I want you to think about this with me if you would. Success isn't always measured on earth. Success isn't always measured on earth. And it's so easy for us, especially in our instant society, in, in which we have to have uh, a measurable success and we want to see things now and we want to have all these things. Listen, success isn't always measured on earth. There's a, a, a heaven to gain and a heaven that says, listen, there are other things that, that measure, that we can measure success by. And so it's not always on earth. The church at Jerusalem here is scattered literally everywhere. They're everywhere now. The Bible says that they're in uh, Judea and Samaria and and, and another place. um, Here we go, Judea and Samaria, excuse me. So they, they go out of the coast of Jerusalem and they're now into Judea and into Samaria in different places. And so they are all 8,000 people left. Look look at verse 1 again. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria 
except the apostles. So everybody, 8,000 people up and leave the church because there's, there's persecution happening and there's only 12 people left. 12 people, according to the Bible, if that's the way you read it. And I understand that, that this is the way it is. 8,000 people leave, 12 people are left. That would be devastating to a church. That would hurt the church, or so we think. Again, some of the apostles may have been thinking, we're a bunch of failures. We failed. The church used to be big, and now it's not. What did we do wrong? What did we not teach our people? Did we not teach them faithfulness? Did we not teach them stick to Did we not teach them to to stay true to what God has. Maybe they even said this to God, God, I thought you said the gates of hell would not prevail against your church, and there's one man out there, Saul. He's persecuting the church, and he seems to be breaking up the church, and he seems to be prevailing against this church in particular. God, what are you doing? Some may have began to question God. I don't, again, I don't know that. I just know human nature. Listen, if there were 12 people in this church next Sunday morning, I'd be concerned. I'd be concerned. And I would ask God the same questions. I thought you said the gates of hell would not prevail against us. What, what happened? What did we do wrong? Well, let me ask you a question. What was the purpose of all of this? God does everything for a purpose. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So what good is supposed to come out of this? How is this a good thing? How is this wonderful that 8,000 people or more have left our church? How is this good? I want to draw your attention back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. The Bible says this, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Watch this now. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in what? Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria. Interesting. And unto the uttermost part of the earth. Listen, if you go back and look at verse 8 with me, or chapter 8 and verse 1, the Bible says that they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And we already know that there were 12 apostles still in Jerusalem. Listen, God is never bound by our definition of a success. Get that. God is never bound by our definition of success. Let me give you a personal illustration. I remember one time, I forget what special thing, what special day we were having, and I was praying for God to give us X amount of people. X amount of people. And I pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and well, lo and behold, way lower than X amount of people. Way lower. And in fact, it was very discouraging to see how few people came to this special event here at our church. And I was like, God, what in the world are you doing? I prayed and prayed and prayed. And you begin to wonder and, 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 and ask God questions. And why are you doing this? What happened? But listen, God is not bound by our measure of success. You see, my measure of success would have been having X amount of people that, there that day. But if I remember correctly, we gained somebody from that. We, somebody has been coming to our church since that time. Listen, we didn't have great numbers, but we had someone that's success 
God is not measured by our definition of success. So what are we to do in moments like these? In moments when our success seems to be blown apart, what are are we supposed to do? I want to give you three ways to handle the changes that God brings into our lives. Three ways to handle changes that God brings in our lives. Number one, very simply, maintain perspective. Maintain perspective. Now if you were to read this passage again, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, I believe you would see that the entire attitude of the passage is one of a proper perspective. It's never stated all they they had the right perspective, but it just appears, it just feels like there's a proper perspective. There seems to be a big focus, excuse me, a focus on the big picture. Let's face it. Again, if we were in this predicament, our perspective would change. Let me illustrate. I was reading a book written by a pastor recently. One of the first things he says in the book, he tells a story in which, as a young pastor, he was uh, uh, leading the church. The church was quite small, and a family walks in. You could tell by the look of this family that they had some needs. They had some things that they needed taken care of, and they began to talk to them and understand them. They began to realize that their needs were quite great, many needs. So the pastor and his wife and many of the uh, 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 members of that church began to really help out and dig in and, and, and help these people with their needs, the things that they had going on in their lives. And they poured their lives into them and, and things started to change for this family. Family began to grow and began to see uh, those needs being taken care of one by one by one by one. However, over the process of time, these people began to expect that their needs be met. They began to expect that their needs to be met. They began complaining to the leadership of the church that no one was helping them with their current needs. The pastor, again, this is the story, the pastor gently told them that they had to stand up and they had to work hard at meeting their needs themselves, something that probably was not easy to do. But long story short, the family ended up leaving the church. One of the last things that they said while they were leaving was this, there wasn't anyone that was willing to help us. Nobody tried to help us with our needs. They didn't care about us. They didn't want to give us and help us and, 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 and push us forward. As you can imagine, the pastor was devastated, and he very openly admits it. He was devastated that he had poured his time and effort and energy and resources into these people just for them to say, you didn't help us. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We helped you so much. He had done nothing but help them. And just a few, again, this is how the story goes. Just a few short weeks later, another family walks in. And you could visibly tell that they had many needs. Let me ask you, would your perspective change? 
At the beginning, the pastor's perspective was, man, we need to help people. I don't care what their need is. I don't care anything that's going on. We need to help these people. People, people, people. we got to help them. After everything happens, the new family walks in. What do you think his perspective is? He openly admits, my perspective was, not this time. Not this time. And he began to be very cynical. No, I'm not going to pour my life and effort into these people. No longer am I going to do that. Listen, if that was us, our perspective would change. The pastor's perspective had changed. And he self-admittedly says, that's wrong. You see, it's so easy when we get taken advantage of, or it's so easy when things change to allow our perspective to change, to look at people differently. And he would tell you, the pastor would tell you this today, listen, he said, my perspective needs to remain the same. People are still people. People still need help. If we're taken advantage of, Paul said more, gladly, will, gladly, therefore, will I gladly spend and be spent for you. Maintaining perspective, it's so easy for us to change our perspective simply because of circumstances. Circumstances change our perspective all the time. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so Christ never changes. But yet our circumstances daily change. Listen, they were being persecuted a little bit. I mean, Peter and John, they were taken into the temple, or excuse me, taken out of the temple, and they were placed in the common court, and they were scolded, and they were beaten, and then they go tell everybody, listen, that was minor. And it was happening to them. Now it's happening to their people. 8,000 of them are now leaving and going everywhere else, running for their lives because of one man, Saul. So they have a responsibility to maintain their perspective and keep it on Jesus Christ because he is the same. Listen, your family's going to change. Your health is going to change. The church is going to change. Things are going to change in your life, but God has a reason. God has a purpose. Don't let circumstances change your perspective on Christ. Hold fast. Stay true. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to maintain perspective on things. The Bible says, let God be true in every man a liar. Man will try to get you to change your perspective. People at work will try to get you to change perspective. And as we've said all along in the book of Acts, God was their focus. God was their focus. And you can feel that from this passage. You can understand that from this passage so their perspective remained the same. Number two, not only did they maintain perspective, number two, they maintained practice. Maintained practice. Look at verse 4 of chapter 8. The Bible says this. Therefore they that were scattered abroad, watch this, went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, 
and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Let me ask you a question. Again, try to put yourself in this perspective, in this situation. What would be your first reaction if someone was going around and putting people in jail for preaching and for being a Christian? What would be your first reaction? I'm just going to tell you what mine would be. Well, I'm going to be quiet then. I'm not going to say anything. Because as soon as I begin opening my mouth and talking about Jesus Christ, especially to a group of people, you never know if there's going to be one person in that group of people who's going to run and tell Saul, and then he's going to come and break this up and and take us and arrest us. Who knows what's going to happen? So first immediate reaction is, shh, don't say anything. Don't preach. Don't, Don't keep going. Don't do any of these things. Making your voice heard to a multitude of people does not necessarily promote secrecy. Yet here is this group of people that scatter from the church at Jerusalem. And you know what they keep doing? They just continue to preach. They just continue to preach about Jesus Christ. They continue to preach about his crucifixion. And this same Saul, who is now named Paul, admonishes Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look, if you'll turn over there with me, remember who he is. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. Paul, who was Saul, who was the one who was wreaking havoc in the church, learned a lesson from these men that were preaching in the face of persecution. And he passes it on now to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 10. He says this, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Watch this. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's going to get worse, folks. It's going to get worse. Timothy, listen. Listen, I went through some crazy things. I was the one persecuting, and now I'm being persecuted. Listen. But continue Thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, just continue. after, Even though evil men are going to wax worse and worse. Even though persecutions are going to maintain. Even though all of these things are going to be worse and get worse. And seducers are going to deceive and be even more deceivious. Even though all of that stuff keeps coming. Listen. Continue thou in the things that thou hast learned. Keep going. Keep practicing. Keep preaching. Keep doing what it is you know to do. Patch the Pirate wrote a song. Ron Hamilton wrote a song, Do Right. Goes a little something like this Do right till the stars fall. Do right till the last call. Do right 
when there's no one else to stand by you. Do right when you're all alone. Do right though it's never known. Do right since you love the Lord. Do right. Do right. Listen, Paul is saying to Timothy, do right even if evil men wax worse and worse. Do right even in the midst of any consequences. Just keep doing right. No matter what circumstances change, no matter what happens, do right. And listen, that's a children's song. Children learn. I learned that song as a child, but listen, it's just as well applies to the adults that sit here in this room, because these men in Acts went forth. Philip, especially, we see a, a, a vivid image, an example of Philip. He just keeps doing right. He just keeps doing right. Just keeps practicing what it is God has asked him to practice. Again, the problem is, as I alluded to this morning, we have not conditioned ourselves to do right We've not conditioned ourselves to do right. Listen, we have not conditioned ourselves to do right when the stakes are not high. When, when it doesn't really matter. When everything's hunky-dory and we don't really have need of anything. And, and we're just constantly going through life and we don't have any problems. Listen, it's easy to get lax. It's easy to get lazy. It's easy just to loosen up the reins just a little bit. It's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. And I wonder why places like third world countries like Uganda, as we heard about, are starving for the gospel. Starving to learn and understand what the word of God says. Yet North Americans could care less. North Americans are pushing God aside, left, right, and center. We just don't care about God anymore. Because we are increased with goods. And have need of nothing, or so we think. But don't realize that we're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3. Listen, we need to maintain practice. It's in moments of uncertainty that we find out what we are truly made of. It's in the moments of uncertainty that we find out who we are what we are truly made of. Listen. It's moments of uncertainty, persecution. When we find out really what the church at Jerusalem was made of. You know what it was made of? It was made of, up of disciples of God. It was made up of disciples of God because they wanted to know God. They wanted to understand God. They wanted to serve God. And it didn't matter where they served God. It says that they went forth and when they were scattered abroad, every one of them began to preach the word, the practice was maintained. Fire has a way of burning out the dross. Some of us, when fire is pressed us, when trials and tribulations come, some of us melt and, and are burnt up as the chaff would be burnt up. Others of us, it's a refining fire. It molds us, it shapes us, it takes out those ailments that we didn't want. And that's sometimes what the Lord will do in our lives. But no matter what your circumstances, no matter what happens, maintain the practice. Keep doing right. Number three, not only are we to maintain the practice, but we are to maintain 
passion. Maintain passion. Look at verse 12. Go back to Acts chapter 8 with me. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. The Bible says this. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, watch this, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. You see, Simon again is an example of what was going on throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. This is an example of what was going on. Simon was one of the people that was scattered and he just doesn't stop preaching. Not only is he not stopping preaching, he's seeing men saved and women saved and he's seeing them baptized. He's seeing miracles. He's seeing signs and wonders done. It's as if Simon, excuse me, uh, 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 Philip here is, is one of those people that just has the same passion, the same fervor that he did when everything was going well in Jerusalem. Picture Jerusalem with me. Picture the church. It's vibrant. Everything is wonderful. Thousands of people are coming to know Christ at a time. And in Acts chapter 2, it says those that, that were saved, those that received his word, were baptized. People are getting baptized. They're seeing miracles and wonders happen. Wonderful things are happening in the church at Jerusalem. That same passion is now carried on with Philip. And Simon, this other man that was saved, gets to watch in on this, gets to see it. He's excited about it. He gets to see that. And, and Philip is one of these people that maintains the passion, maintains the practice, maintains what's going on. He's continuing with fervor. Again, the problem is this. It'd be pretty easy for most of us to maintain the current passion that we have. Mainly because many of us don't have a passion. Let me ask you a question. What are you passionate about? Listen, I can stand out here all day and talk to you about hunting and fishing. I love it. In fact, I am passionate about it. But listen, if that, if I am more passionate about those two things than I am about the Word of God and knowing God, and doing for God, and I have a problem, a very serious problem. So often we think, oh, I hope our rights and our, 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 our rules and regulations in our country don't change too much so I can't do the things that I enjoy doing. Listen, it doesn't matter what changes. It doesn't matter if they raise the hunting license fee to so much that I can never hunt. Listen, it doesn't matter if they take my guns away. I don't care if they take the Bible away. Listen, this is what matters. And so often we get caught up in our passions that are unbiblical, that are against God, that are so far removed from God, that aren't necessarily wrong, but they have nothing to do with Him. We get caught up in those things and we fight for those things and it's easy to maintain that kind of passion. But what's your passion for God? 
What's your passion for God? Philip, under threat of going to jail and being in prison probably for the rest of his life, continues to preach and teach and do miracles and wonders and baptize people. And his passion remains the same to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Are you passionate about serving God? So many of us are passionate about serving ourselves. So many of us are passionate about making sure that we are taken care of. Making sure that we are happy. I think it's pretty obvious to see here. That the gospel is being spread here much faster than any human being could have predicted. Every person... Again, if you look at verse 4, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. The gospel is being spread much faster than any person, any human could have predicted. You know the funny thing? God knew exactly what he was doing. God knew exactly what he was getting them into. I believe we don't see God working in our lives because we're content to live in mediocrity. And just living in the status quo, letting nothing change. I believe we don't see God working because we are content. And we're content to leave well enough alone. Listen, as I said before, if we had a church of 8,000 people, it would be so easy, so easy to just sit there and just go, isn't this great? Isn't it wonderful to see what God is doing? But in times of trials and tribulations, you know what we don't do? We don't say, isn't it great? Look what God is doing. You know, because we only believe that God is the God of good things. Or what we perceive to be good. I heard somebody give a testimony the other day. And they used these words. I just, that was just a God moment. And I'm not trying to argue with him. But listen. Are God moments always what we expect? God I expect you to do this. And you fulfilled that. So ah that's a God moment. Would this be a God moment? Would great persecution be a God moment in your life? Most of us, it wouldn't be for me, let me be honest. But that's exactly what it is. God is using this to spread the gospel. God is using this to spread unity. To, to pull it out of its comfort state. And push it beyond anything that any human ever could have known. We need a passion for God. We need a passion for God's word. We need a passion. I pray often, and this was from Earl Jessup. He told me, never coast. I sat across the table from him at the Mongolian barbecue in London. He said, never coast, Johnny. I said, okay. He says, no, I'm serious. Never coast. I said, okay. He says, look at me, I'm serious, never coast. Never coast. I don't know what God has for me. I don't know what God has for this church. 
I don't know what it is, but if we ever start coasting, listen to me, hear me. This is a big statement, and I'm scared to say it. But if we ever start coasting, I pray that God does something. That God breaks us up a little bit. That God moves us and, and agitates us just a little bit and, and gets in there and starts begin twisting things up and, and taking us out of our norm and doing something different in our lives. Listen, some of you know what that feels like personally. You've gone through something major, something big, and you just, I don't know what God is doing here, but whatever it is, God, I will follow you. Whatever it is, I will maintain my passion for you. You see other people go through the same thing and they fall away. See other people go through similar instances and they fall away. Never coast. I pray that God never lets me off the hook. I pray that God keeps pouring the coals on. Keeps fueling the fire. I, I, I really do. It's not easy to say and I realize what I'm saying. But I just want God to use this vessel. For his honor and his glory. And I want, to, I want God to use these vessels that sit here before me. I want him to use these vessels. But sometimes, you know what vessels need? Vessels sometimes need a purging. Vessels sometimes need to be put in the dishwasher. And sometimes we need to be agitated a little bit. Sometimes we need, uh, we need some of those things to wash us in and get our focus back. Are we going to make mistakes? Did these people here in the book of Acts make mistakes? Absolutely, 100%. But I never want to be satisfied. Listen, I never want to be satisfied with my definition of success. People ask me all the time, it's been five or six months after, since you've been voted in. How's it going? I'm the wrong person to ask. I don't know. If you're asking me, I think it's going great. I still preach every Sunday. It's going great. But listen, I just want God to do something. I could care less what I think it's going, how I think it's going. I want God to do something. I want God to show up. I want God to make this church successful according to his definition of success. I have no idea what that looks like. I never want to be satisfied with my definition of success. I want to be pursuing God's definition, whatever that might be. Let me ask you a question. Are we willing? Are we willing to allow God to spread us, to pull us apart even, while at the same time maintaining the unity that we have with him? These people did. They were literally ripped apart, and they maintained the unity that they had with God. And they began, in their unity with God, they began talking to other people. They began telling other people, are we willing for that to happen to us? Are we willing for God to do something? There's a song written. Use two songs in this message, but I think they're very fitting. First verse starts like this There's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree. And he whispers, Draw closer to me. Leave this world far behind. 
there are new heights to climb and a new life in me you will find for whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord. Whatever it takes, that's what I'll be willing to do. For whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'd be willing to do. Take the dearest things to me. If that's how it must be. To draw me closer to you. Let the disappointments come. Lonely days without the sun. If through sorrow, more like you I become. I'll trade sunshine for rain. Comfort for pain. That's what I'll be willing to do. For whatever it takes for my will to break. That's what I'll be willing to do. Are you willing? Are you willing for God to do something in your life? To spread that unity? And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. This looks terrible. Looks absolutely horrible. But God took it and knew exactly what he was doing. Are you willing to say, I'll do whatever it takes to be more like you?